0: I ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, as we continue our verse-by-verse exposition of this work. Peter has been encouraging the church through the reality of faith, reminding us that to live out our faith is to court God's favor. It's good to be in God's favor, amen? So, not that our good deeds in any way save us, not in our good deeds in any way keep us saved, but they do maintain a relationship with our Father that helps us to enjoy the blessing of knowing Him, and uh, we need to understand that our faith in Christ is one worth living out on a daily basis. It's one worth seeing God at work in us, knowing that we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isn't it good to be an overcomer in Christ? That no matter what's going on in life, no matter how difficult things can be, that we can have hope in dark times, that we can rejoice in suffering. For the promises of God are greater than any circumstance that we face. Circumstances are only temporary. And too often we allow our circumstances to cloud our judgment. And uh, it's very helpful if we as believers can focus on the eternal rather than the temporal. And allow our allow an eternal perspective to guide our decisions. Not only as, as we look to to serve Christ but just in every aspect of our life not allowing the immediacy of the moment to dictate what we do but but for us to consider the implications of the future what would Christ have us do what are the what are the impacts that I'm, of the decisions that I'm about to make what are they going to be for me for tomorrow and next week and next year and what are they going to be for Christ's name and how I respond to this how can I honor him in the midst of this difficulty. So many times we just simply seek to escape. We seek to get away when things get hard. Peter's writing to a church and to and to to a people that are being persecuted for their faith. They're they're under the oppression of the Roman government. They're they're they've experienced what it means to, to suffer. And uh, some of them are suffering even as Peter's writing. Some of them the the suffering's about to get worse. And Peter is just trying to encourage them in their faith to help them obtain this eternal perspective not showing them how to get out of difficulty but how to endure it through faith understanding that Christ is our hope and our strength and as we get into 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 13 through 17 this morning this is what Peter's message to us as we continue a message that we looked at last week concerning the confidence of faith. Would you stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's holy word? 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 13 through 17. If you're ready for the word of God, would you say amen? amen? Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. Gracious Father, as we approach your word this morning, I simply ask that your spirit would open our hearts and minds to receive your instruction that we might be more like Christ when we leave than when we came in. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Be seated. We're talking a lot about obedience to the faith. And we started this text last week looking at just verses 13 and 14 and, and looking at the, the confidence that Peter seeks to instill in the believers that he's writing to. He's, he's telling them, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Now, we understand in a general sense that when we, when we do good, that um, we shouldn't expect that bad things are going to happen to us for doing good. Now, we know if we do wrong, right, that there's going to be consequences to doing wrong. Those, those things Happen, and we, and we looked at that, and so Peter's reminding them that when if you're zealous, that is, if you're passionate about doing the things that please the Lord, that means you're going to do what's right in most situations so that you shouldn't have to fear suffering for wrongdoing. But that doesn't take away suffering in every circumstance. It doesn't take away suffering, just general sufferings in life and even suffering for your faith. Which is why in verse 14 he says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And we're reminded of the blessing that we have for our obedience in Christ. When we as God's children do the things which are pleasing in his sight, we know that his favor rests on us. That's what it means to be blessed. His favor rests on us. Regardless of what else is going on in life, whatever difficulties we may be facing, if we are seeking to obey Christ, his favor rests on us. That should be an encouraging thought to you this morning. As I was studying this week and I was, I was remembering some of some of the martyrs that I've studied, and even, even from Scripture, you think about what Paul endured as he, was, as he was beaten with rods, as he was stoned and left for dead, as he was, received the 39 lashes from the Jews, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked. How was it that he was able to endure and to to keep going on and keep proclaiming Christ? It's because he knew that he had God's favor resting on him. He knew he was blessed in the Lord to carry out that work. How do you think that Stephen, when he was faced with, with uh, with the Sanhedrin and and uh, when they brought him and arrested him for preaching Christ, and he came before him, and they, they, were, and they came to stone him. They, they rushed on him. He gave his defense, and, he, and they rushed him, and they began to stone him. And yet, we don't see any cries of anguish. We don't see any um, despair in Stephen's voice there in Acts chapter 6. What we see, Stephen prays for the forgiveness of those who are persecuting him, and he prays for Christ to receive his spirit. I mean... How does, how does someone endure such hardship, such difficulty, such oppression, such persecution? They endure because they have the blessing of Christ resting on them. They endure because they know who Christ is. They understood that through their obedience they were blessed. They knew that they must res- not respond to fear, except in a way that demonstrates faith. As we saw in verse at the end of verse 14, where it says, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. It's real easy. We talked about this a little bit last week. It's real easy for sometimes for people to tell you not to be afraid. And so when we encounter those instructions in Scripture, and it's like, great. Don't be afraid. Don't respond to intimidation. But we need, we need more than just for the Lord to tell us what not to do. We need, to tell it, we need him to tell us what to do, how to overcome, and that's what we're dealing with this morning because our faith, as we live it out, it not only indicates the reality of God's favor, his blessing on us, it not only instructs us to not respond to fear, but it also imposes on us a readiness to demonstrate faithfulness, and we see that in verse 15, because instead of fear, what are we to do? We're to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence and keeping a good conscience. These verses tell us the importance of living out our faith in the midst of difficulty and persecution, in the midst of hardship and difficult circumstances. Faith is not merely a passive thing. If all the Lord did was tell us, well, you know don't be afraid, and don't do this, and don't do that, well, that's, those are all very passive things, right? We, we don't, if we're not doing anything, then we're being passive. But he doesn't just tell us what we ought not to do. He tells us what we ought to do. That is, our faith takes an active role in how we live out our life each and every day. And He tells us three, he gives us three ways to demonstrate our faith as we engage the hardships and the difficulties and the opposition that comes our way as followers of Christ. And the first thing that he tells us is that we need to put Christ first. If you don't want to be afraid, if you don't don't want to give in to fear, if you don't want to be overcome with that fear that comes at us when we're in the most dark and dismal places, we need to sanctify Christ in our hearts. That's what he says in, there in verse, in verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Some, some translations may say, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. But the, the earliest manuscripts indicate Christ. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. The word sanctify, now we've talked about sanctification in the sense of being more like Christ. So what does it mean to sanctify Christ in our hearts? Well, the word sanctify literally means to set apart, to make holy, to consecrate something. Now, obviously, we don't make Christ holy. I mean, we can't make him any holy, but we can treat him as holy as we focus our attention more fully on him. That's the idea here is that we're focusing our hearts and our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our attention needs to be on him. Colossians 1.18 teaches us, it says, that the, Christ is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. How is it that if Christ is to have first place in everything, or as the King James says, that he may have preeminence in all things, how is it that if he's supposed to have preeminence, if he's supposed to have first place, how is it that we so readily just relegate Christ to a certain time and day of the week? How is it that we just, we just separate our life from him? We, 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 we come to church, and we're here, and, and, and we come to listen to him, and we may come a couple times a week, but by and large, so many professing Christians just relegate Christ to, to a certain time of their week. They don't, they're not giving their, the whole of their life to him. He's supposed to be first in everything. How are we sanctifying him and making him first in everything if we don't ever think about him apart from when we come to church? Or maybe even a certain time of day. Sometimes professing Christians are, are, they might be really good at at praying at mealtimes or praying at bedtime, but the rest of the day they don't ever think about him. How is that making him first? How is he gaining first place? It's so easy for us to relegate him to, or relegate him out of other areas of our life when he's meant to have first place in all of our lives. I think a lot of the problems in the professing church today stem from a lack of recognition of the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, the early church flourished in face of persecution, in face of opposition, much as some of the church today in other parts of the world, in churches in Asia and in churches in Africa and in churches in those regions of the world that, that are facing persecution, that are facing opposition, those churches are flourishing. They're, 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 they're spreading like wildfire. It's contagious because the people are passionate about who Christ is. They've given Christ first place in their life. They love Him above all else. The churches aren't booming in those areas because they have better programs. They're not not spreading because they have better entertainment. They're not doing those things because of what what a building is offering them or what a, a, a certain preacher is offering them, apart from offering them the Word of God. They are sold out for Jesus Christ. And that kind of passion for Christ is contagious. If we love Christ, if we give ourselves to him, if we embrace him for all that he is and we turn our life over to him, then we're going to share him with other people. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of opposition, you just can't help yourself. When you've given your life over to Christ, you want people to know that you're his. You want people to know him. They face oppression and persecution. They meet in secret. And yet they rejoice in the grace that they have received. Just from being free from their sin. From recognizing that they're no longer separated from God. But they are united to Him through Jesus Christ. Compare that to what happens in so many of our American churches as we fight over the songs we sing, the length of the sermon, and the color of the carpet. Scripture tells us a very bleak story of who we are apart from Christ. The book of Isaiah chapter 59 says that you've been separated from Christ, because of, or separated from God because of your iniquities. That he has hidden his face from you because of your sin. In the book of Ephesians, we're told that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That because we have offended a holy God, that we rightly deserve judgment. Eternal separation from the holy God who created everything. That's what we deserve. That's where every single one of us either has been or is. We have been that if we haven't encountered Christ, and we are that if we haven't encountered Christ. Only through repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can we come to the place where we are in a right relationship with the Lord God. That ought to do something to you. When that reality hits your heart, when it it changes who you are, when when you gain that perspective that you've been set free, and yet, why or how can we experience that reality and not give Christ first place in our heart? This isn't, listen, I get it. We can be saved, and we can struggle in life. Things are going to happen. Things are going to distract us. Things are going to take our attention off of him. Fear is going to seep in. The enemy is going to attack. But we don't have to lay down and take it. We don't have to just take it. We sanctify Christ in our heart. We sanctify Him and we focus our attention on Him. And by understanding and knowing Him better, we overcome. We need to be more concerned with Christ than with personal preferences. We need to sanctify Him in our hearts. Give Him, listen, you want to sanctify Christ in your heart, give Him the first part of every day. When you wake up in the morning, wake up with a prayer on your lips, thanking God for giving you another day. Wake up in the morning seeking His face, and then throughout your day, just just talk to Him about what's going on, the decisions that you have to make, the things that are happening. He wants to hear from you. You are his child. Communicate with him. Sanctify him in your heart by giving him a priority in the things that you do. This is how we put Christ first. This is how we demonstrate faithfulness by giving him preeminence. So we learn to put Christ first and. Secondly, it tells us to prepare a defense. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That phrase, always ready, it means to be prepared. I mean, that's literally what it means. It means you need to be ready You need to be prepared to make a defense, to defend your faith. The word defense, it comes from the Greek word apologia, where we get the English word apologetics. Also the word apology, but the word apology, the way we use it today, doesn't carry the same kind of idea as apologetics does. Apology used to mean defending your actions, not regretting them. And that's the sense that the word is used here. When we talk about apologetics, we're talking about a realm of Christian study in which people study how to answer objections to the faith. That is what apologetics are. You, you find out what people object to, and then you you study Scripture, and then you help to give them an answer. But that's not what Peter's talking about. It's not talking about answering everybody's objections to the faith. He's talking about when you live out your faith, and especially in the midst of those who are trying to, to impose fear on you, and you respond not with fear, but you respond with a love and devotion to Christ and a, and a commitment to Him, it makes people wonder how you can have hope in suffering. It makes people how you wonder how you can have joy in the midst of difficulty. And they're going to ask you, and that's what he says. He says, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you is that our testimony will speak about our relationship with Christ and they'll want to know why we're not afraid. They'll want to know how we can endure. They want to know how we can persevere. The hope and joy that we gain from sanctifying Christ in our hearts, understanding who He is and the surety of the promises that He has made to us are a wonder to those who don't know Him. And this isn't just in the midst of persecution. That's the context here. But, I mean, you guys know, you've seen it in other people's lives and perhaps in your own life, that when you endure difficulty, not just persecution, but just just the difficulties of life, the hardships of life, and you have joy and you have, and you have peace in the midst of it, that's, that's interesting to people. It's intriguing. They, they want to understand how can you endure, how can you go through, how can you keep How can you keep faithful when so many things are going wrong? It's inspiring to fellow Christians and it's intriguing to unbelievers. You know, I never grow tired of hearing how God works deliverance into people's lives. How God brings perseverance and endurance. Not not just the, the... you know the little Pat answers. You know I couldn't have got through it without the Lord, or or the Lord saw me through. I mean those those are good, but I mean I mean I, I want to hear details. I want to know what scriptures God used to speak to your heart. I want to know what you, how God's word impacted you and how His Spirit was working and how He spoke to your heart and gave you encouragement. Because those are the things in my life as God has worked in in my life in dark times. Those are the things that encourage me when I look back and, and I may be going through something else and I look back and how God worked before. Those things encourage me. And then I look at other people's lives around me that I've known that have been through difficulties and I remember how God delivered them. Those are the things that impact us and impact others. The testimonies of God's faithfulness allow us to give an account of the hope that is in us. That is what is in view in this passage. Last year we did a simulcast event of the insanity of God. I don't know how many of you were here for that but uh, the insanity of God it, it takes it's a documentary um, into the persecuted church and some certain missionaries in particular and as I was contemplating on, on the study this morning um, I was just reminded of a scene in that show, and I don't know the exact names of everybody, but there was a scene in, in that documentary in which there was a, a, a Christian who had been imprisoned for their faith, and they talked about being in prison and being beaten and, and, and being tortured, and they were basically they were there, they were awaiting execution. But every day, every morning, when that prisoner would wake up in the morning, they would sing praises unto the Lord. There, there was a particular song that just was endeared into their heart. And every day they would sing it to the Lord. And because they sang it, they would be beaten. But every day they would sing. And when the guards finally came to execute the prisoner, when they came to gather him, the whole prison began to sing this song of praise that this prisoner had been singing for all the time that he'd been there. He had been testifying of his faith, He had been giving a defense of the faith, not, not just through speaking to other people about his faith, but demonstrating his faith before them and praising the Lord in the midst of difficulty. Continuing to put Christ first. By putting Christ first in our life, by focusing on his character, seeking his will, living for his glory that's how we prepare ourselves to give a defense. It's not that we listen, it's not that we 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 plan on well if someone says this then I say that. We're not planning our comebacks. Okay? That that's a that's a worldly pursuit. Okay? That's what the world does. That's I mean we probably all do that to some extent. Well, if if, if they ever say that again or if someone says that to me, well I'll just say this. That's Listen, when when we're talking about being ready to give a defense, we're not talking about planning our comebacks. In fact, Jesus says when we face persecution that we're not to worry about what we're to say. In uh, Matthew 10, 19 and 20, he says, When they hand you over, do not worry about what you're to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So, well, Jesus said not to prepare a defense, right? No. Jesus said not to worry about it. Peter says prepare a defense. Well, how do we prepare a defense without worrying about it? Because we're not talking about specifics here. We're talking simply about knowing what you believe and why you believe it. So that when the opportunity arises, you have something to say. The the Spirit will speak through us. But He's not going to give you something that you haven't already learned. He's not going to give you something you haven't already studied. He's not going to tell you something that you haven't already gleaned from God's Word. Our preparation is not to plan our responses, but to know God's Word, to know the promises of Scripture, and to apply them to our life. As I said, knowing not only what we believe, but why we believe it. You see, faith, despite the world's opinion, faith is not blind. Faith is based on reason, and logic, and it is supported by evidence. Now, listen. There, there comes a point when we have to decide to believe the evidence, to to, to trust the logic. But it's not it's not just blind faith. God is a god of order. He's a god of reason. He's a He's he's given us minds to be able to reason through things. He's given us logic, and He's revealed Himself so that we can know Him. But the issue is, we don't always want to accept the evidence. But you know, there's no such thing as a person without faith. Do you realize that? There's no such thing as a person without faith. Because whatever evidence you put your trust in, that's where your faith is. Now, there is a big difference between saving faith and non-saving faith. Scripture has a lot to say about that. Saving faith only comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of types of faith that don't save. We can believe in a lot of things that aren't going to get us into heaven, a lot of things that aren't going to forgive us of our sins, a lot of things that aren't going to give us hope and difficulty. Only faith in Christ is saving faith. So we are proponents of saving faith in Jesus Christ. It is Him we proclaim as the source of the hope within us, sanctifying Him as Lord in our hearts to demonstrate our faithfulness to Him. There's a third aspect of demonstrating faithfulness, and that is protecting your reputation. So not only do we put Christ first, not only do we prepare a defense, but we must protect our reputation and faithfulness. I mean, isn't that what he says? He says, sanctify Christ, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence And the way it reads in the Greek here, verse 16, it flows directly into it. It says, yet with gentleness and reverence, keeping a good conscience. Three areas that help us to maintain a good reputation in the way we defend our faith. You ever... Notice that sometimes with Christians, their their zealousness for truth comes across with callousness in their delivery. I mean, sometimes we're so zealous to get our point across that we we forget to be gracious. Being right is important, but it's not the most important thing. The way we deliver truth is just as important as the truth we deliver. Ephesians 4.15 says that we're, we're to speak the truth in love. John writes in 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in deed and truth. and truth. It's both what we speak and the way we say it. It's our actions and our words working together to demonstrate our faithfulness to Christ. Because, listen, we're not just trying to get people to agree to a certain set of facts about who Jesus is and what he did. And, and this is what the Bible says, and, and this is how it... Plans out, and, and we can have a great theology about who God is and how He works and everything He does, but if it doesn't transform us in the way we live our life, then it really serves no real purpose. Because we are to demonstrate who Christ is in the way that we engage others, we're to demonstrate our faithfulness to Christ in the way that we share truth with them. He tells us here, he says that we're to do it with gentleness and reverence. Or your translation may say with meekness and fear. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Gentleness or, or meekness. This is not weakness. It's not that we just, we just bow down and, and just, you know, just are apologetic in the way that we present truth. That we're just, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, this is... No, it, it's... This word in the Greek, it carries the idea of, of being authoritative and controlled. It's, it's powerful, yet it's directed and it's precise in order that we might reveal truth without cruelty. I think about the way Jesus confronted the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I mean, Jesus just... Flat out confronted her with with her sin, with her life, and and who she was. But he didn't do it in in a condemning way, but in a redeeming way. Sometimes when we confront sin, we do it in a a way that brings undue condemnation. Not, Not that we're ever approving of sin, but in the confrontation of sin, we don't have to approve of it. But the idea of confronting sin is offering forgiveness and redemption from it through Christ, not just to beat them down with their sin. And this is, this is the, the idea. Think about, think about this. When, when Paul and Silas were arrested in Philippi for, for preaching the gospel, right? They go in, they preach the gospel, Paul sets free the demon possessed girls, they get arrested, they're put in prison, put in the inner prison, and what do they do? Do they, do they go into the prison kicking and screaming and saying, you bunch of God haters, you're all going to burn in hell? No, but that would be the mindset of a lot of Christians today, I think, in, in oppression because we just, that rebellious spirit is just fed in our culture. No, they didn't, they didn't do that. They submitted to the authorities. They went into the inner prison. And they sang songs of praise until midnight. They had sanctified Christ as Lord in their hearts. They were giving a defense. That is, they were testifying of their faith. You say, well, nobody asked them. Well, they did. Not Not immediately. But as Paul and Silas were living out their faithfulness, and God caused an earthquake to happen, and the doors of the prison flung open, and the jailer who had been asleep thought they had all fled was going to kill himself, Paul said, don't harm yourself, we're still here. And the jailer went in and said, what must I do to be saved? And he took Paul and Silas and he he washed their wounds, and he took them to his house, and he fed them, and the whole of his family received Christ. And then you know what happened? They went back to the prison, because in the morning, the other authorities came to, to let him out. You see, sometimes we're so busy insisting that we have our way, insisting that that. People listen to us, insisting that it has to be a certain way, or insisting on our rights, that we miss the opportunity to demonstrate genuine faithfulness to Christ. We must conduct ourselves in gentleness and in reverence. The Greek word actually here is fear. We studied fear earlier in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 17 says, if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And we talked about what it means to have a healthy fear of God. And I'm not going to re-preach that sermon for you this morning, but I just want to remind you that it really ties in so perfectly with what we're looking at here as we sanctify the Lord in our hearts, as we focus our attention on Him, we're basically we're responding with the recognition that He is Lord. And as Lord, He has the right to do what He's going to do. That He will discipline us if we disobey. He will bless us if we obey. But the fear that we have before the Lord is not, I mean, I think to a degree there, it could be fear of discipline. I mean, after all, I mean, this is the God of the universe. Think about what he could do. I mean, there is an awe and a reverence for his power and his majesty and his holiness. But I think the fear that we should have for the Lord is, is fear of not honoring him, fear of failing To represent him the way that we are. Fear of carrying out his will for our lives. Everything we do needs to be done in consideration of our relationship to him as our father. Who is perfect in justice. Who is infinite in love. And who is sure in his discipline. We need to glorify him. In all that we do. So we defend our faith with gentleness towards people and with reverence towards God. There's so much here that I want to get to, but we're just not going to have the time for it this morning. But I want you, I want to leave you with this thought and consideration of your own walk with the Lord, I want to ask you, what are you doing to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts? What are you doing to prepare a defense for those that ask you of the hope that is in you? Because listen, we all go through difficulty. We're all called on to persevere from time to time, and as we do, we're given opportunity to share our faith with others. Are you prepared? Are you ready? And are you doing it in a way that your reputation as a follower of Christ is maintained? Those are the things that we need to be focused on. Those are the things that we need to be doing. In order, listen, not in order just to be a good witness. That's hugely important. But in order that we might also conquer fear. That we might persevere. That we might overcome. Even as the examples that we've looked at today. Don't let fear rule in your heart. Sanctify Christ as Lord. Know what you believe. And why you believe it as it is taught in the words of Scripture. I don't know how the Lord may be speaking to your heart today, but I do know this. There's some that are listening that don't know what it means to sanctify Christ as Lord in their hearts, they've never experienced his forgiveness, they've never really dealt with their sin personally. They may have known about Christ, but they've never really given it much thought as far as the application to their lives. I pray that if that's you this morning, that you would come to the place where you repent of your sins and turn to Him. So that you can understand what it means to give Him first place. And for those of you that have been walking with Christ for a number of years, I pray that you're challenged this morning to give Christ. Christ first place in your heart each and every day in everything that you do to be encouraged by His presence, to be encouraged by His truth and the promises of His Word. Be strengthened in the Spirit and in the Word. Serve Him. Exalt Him. Glorify Him. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful to know that you are a God that we can trust with every aspect of our life. And there's no part of our life that you're not interested in being a part of. And Father, I pray that we would hold nothing back from you, but understand that you have set your favor upon us that we might know you, That we might obey you and that we might glorify you. Father, we were unworthy of your love, but you gave it. We were separated in our sinfulness, seeking only our own desire. And yet, Father, you sent your son from heaven to give us peace, forgiveness, family. As you adopted us, paid for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, continue to give us your strength and to teach us from your word that you might continue to be glorified in us and through us. And I pray all of this in the precious name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I want to ask